A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. The first thing is a little bit to change the energy. So my job is to convince everybody this is how we're going to live. And if you are going to be part of this organization, it has to be in this sense and in this way. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly afternoon. Goodly afternoon to you. How are you doing? I'm all right. Uh, you know, I had a difficult weekend. My MacBook broke, um, which I thought I was... Know. Yeah, I thought that was going to give us victory over Everton. But of course, everyone said it doesn't really work that way. It only works when bad things happen to you. I was trying to take a little bit of that burden away from you, but... I appreciate that. Unfortunately, it didn't didn't pan out. Not in in terms of the result on the pitch, but you know, since last we spoke, certain things have changed at Arsenal oh. Football Club, and that does make for a goodly afternoon, I think. Yes, yeah, so much has changed. Actually, it's almost weird. It feels like we haven't spoken for ever such a long time. Uh, Arsenal is a very different place all of a sudden. Yes. Mikel Arteta is our new head coach. I know that's his official title. I really enjoyed the bit in his press conference where he said, it's such a great honour to be the manager of this football club. He's having Mm. none of this head coach bullshit. It's like, nah, I'm the manager. Mm. I manage shit. So I like that. He had the attitude of a a manager, didn't he? I mean, he he really was really impressive in that first press conference. I know we said the same about uh, Unai Emery, probably. Did we? Months I don't ago. know that we did. Yeah. Well, I no. think we were we were positive about the press conference, but this was a very different experience. I think watching it and yeah. a very different style of communication. Um, but you know, just more the sort of the picture he painted was quite inspiring stuff. Mm. We will come back, I think, to Mikel Arteta because this is a, a podcast about Arsenal Football Club. Arsenal Football Club did have a game of football at the weekend against Everton, which I'm not sure it, it merits a great deal of discussion, but I do think as a starting point, uh, that's where we should begin this podcast and we can move into the Arteta stuff and all the various bits and pieces that, that people will want us to talk about around that. Um, you know, it was a weird game, wasn't it? Because 
because uh, there was a moment where on BT Sport they they cut to well they they put a little picture in picture thing on the screen right. of Carlo Ancelotti looking on and Mikel Arteta looking on and you could sort of see both men trying not to make any kind of facial expression which might suggest that they were unhappy with what they've seen or or anything like that so they're looking kind of um stony faced at what was going on on the pitch i think that was probably also a reflection of the football that was taking place because it wasn't uh, a particularly good game um but it felt like the game itself and the performances of both teams were very very heavily influenced by the presence of of two new managers ancelotti was announced just before the game and arteta obviously had taken place uh, the day before yeah, it, it wasn't a great game and, you know, I'm super privileged I get to go and watch as many Arsenal games. This was uh, not good, uh, not exciting and not a great deal of quality on show. Uh, it, I've never seen, well, have seen probably, but I, I rarely see so many poor first touches in a Premier League game. It was really, really shoddy stuff. But, you know, I, I liked what Freddie did with the team. I liked that he just said, well... It's my last shot at it. I'm going to give the kids a game and pretty beneficial for, for their development. And yeah, personally, that was sort of something I was... It gave at least some degree of interest to what was otherwise quite a weird match. Yeah. Uh, there was a bit of a statement, I think, in the team that Teddy... Uh, Teddy. Freddie. Oh, Jesus. That's a bad one. Uh, yeah. That, that Freddie uh, picked. You know, he did start Emil Smith-Rowe in the Premier League for the first time. Mesut Ozil left out because he had a foot injury, apparently. But, of course, after before the game and after the game, Freddie said that even if he had been fit, he wouldn't have picked him because of his reaction to the substitution against Manchester City. I guess it's not that surprising that this foot injury that he had wasn't that serious and he's now available for selection uh, for the game against Bournemouth. No, I, I, don't, I don't think that comes as any great surprise. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have to say, I like his stance on things like that. And if you've got a player whose attitude can be problematic, at least he was clear and upfront. I think, you know, in the past when we've seen situations like this around us, or we've had the manager sit in the press conference and say things like, well, he's ill or he's got a back problem. Uh, at least Freddie was pretty forthright. And I certainly appreciated that. What did you make of all that? Uh, yeah, look, I think if he was just going to leave him out, leave him out. And maybe he did have a bit of a foot injury, but he was training the next day. He was training the day after the game. Um, so it can't have been that bad. So look, it's just another one of those little Ozil moments that we've had. Arteta today saying in his press conference, um, basically everyone is starting with a, a clean slate. He says, I've told them that you're not going to be judged on things you've done in the past, whether they're negative or positive. So that's good news for many of the squad, you'd have to say. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's the way it should be, really, when a new manager comes in. Um, but, you know, I, I uh, the Ozil thing, we spoke about this before, but it just becomes a, a cycle, doesn't it? And that cycle's getting shorter and shorter between being yeah. in favour and out of favour. Do you think the fact that Arteta knows Ozil well and knows him as a player, somebody who played with him, of course, at Arsenal, um, do, do you think that might, I mean, it feels like, He's going to have to salvage something from from Ozil's career, the very September of his career. You know, if there's anything to be got out of him at all, he's really going to have to work hard to to get it. 
It feels like at this moment in time anyway. I don't think that will be easy. I mean, he was the only individual that Arteta was asked about in his opening press conference, which tells you something about, you know, what a big figure he remains at the club. Uh, I, I mean, when you listen to what Arteta's saying about energy and literally running, I mean... I think Callum Chambers uh, in the mix zone after the game was saying, you know, the boss has said the players that are going to run the most are going to play. In fact, it was, I think, Bern Leno who said that. Mm. Uh, you know, you do feel like Ozil's not the most obvious fit for the kind of intensity that, that Arteta wants to bring to the team. But he is obviously very talented. So it's going to be a really, really fascinating one, isn't it? And, you know, if I think about Man City and inevitably you sort of keep comparing uh, Arsenal and City and certain players there. The way that someone like David Silva, for example, who's not necessarily the most physical of Premier League players, but has been able to thrive in that. You know, you look at that and you think, could something similar happen with Mm. someone like Ozil? I mean, fingers crossed, because I don't think he's going anywhere in a hurry. And just having him constantly be this headline-making figure who's in and out of the team is is wearying, I think, for, for everyone involved. Mm. It's a long shot, but you never know. You never know. Yeah. A lot of what lies ahead for Mikel Arteta appears to be a long shot, to be honest. You know, he's got a big, big job on his hands on so many levels, on the pitch and off the pitch. So, you know, he, he may well surprise us in that regard. Um, not a huge amount in terms of positives to take away from it, but I think one of them, James, was Bakayo Saka playing mm. at left back. And we have to put this in context. You know, he's a really, really inexperienced young player. He's only just turned 18, really. Um, he's a winger. He's an uh, attacking player. That's where he wants to play. And he was asked to do a job at left back in the Premier League against a team who I know, you know, have been going through a very difficult time which is evidenced by the fact they sacked their manager and they brought in Ancelotti you know as a reflection of how their season has gone but away from home in the Premier League playing out of position I think if there was a a big positive on the day uh, from an Arsenal point of view I know there was another one that we'll touch on in a moment um, it was Saka and and the way that he acquitted himself in in that role. Yeah, I thought he was really good, actually. And, you know, you don't want to go overboard and say, well, that's the left-back problem sorted for the next two months or whatever it might be. But, you know, every time he's been asked to fill in there, he's done really well. He has the athletic profile. He seems to have the commitment and the diligence. Uh, so, I, yeah, he was a massive positive on the day. I, I really, really liked what I saw from him. And, you know, w- with Tierney and Kalasnach being out, I think that shirt is is his to lose at the moment. Mm, that's an interesting one. I think we've got a question on that um, yeah. a bit later, so we might we might touch on that. The other big positive, of course, is a clean sheet, something we haven't seen too often uh, this season. I think it was 14 games in which we have stained our footballing bedclothes without... Um, Burned Leno going home happy for once, and I, you know, I know we didn't win, but he must have been thankful. Um, he didn't have a great deal to do, and I do think there there were a couple of performances um, at centre half which were, you know, in the in the auspices of this very difficult defensive season we've had. Not bad at all from Callum Chambers and, dare I say it, David Luiz, who who was um, who was quite aggressive and and played pretty well. Yeah, I thought the centre-halves were certainly better than they have been. And it wasn't one of those games where we managed to get a clean sheet, but we conceded a load of shots on target. Yeah. I'm just trying to check the stats now. I can't find them. But, I mean, you know, Leno didn't have a vast amount to do, which uh, 
is unusual for him and I'm sure he was very grateful. In fact, no shots on target for Everton in of their nine. So uh, that was positive and I thought defensively there were things that were better. I mean, Arteta had spoken to the players and insisted on work rate, want to see people take responsibility. And I think when you put a few kids in, maybe they're a bit more inclined to do that. You know, they're sort of desperate to impress. They'll follow instruction a little bit clearer. And something that struck me is we talk about Saka and Maitland-Niles, but whenever they broke forward, which was relatively frequently, Martinelli and Reese Nelson as well on the other side, both got back very well. They covered well. They never they never let their fullbacks become isolated or, or let that space become too vacated just encouraging. I mean, it should be a given, right? It should be something that we see week in, week out. But too often with his Arsenal team, yeah. we don't. Very true. I think probably the reason Pepe was on the bench was because of the way uh, the guy ran past him in the Man City game. I think you so. Know, I, yeah. I, I, you know, it isn't to say that uh, Arsenal losing 3-0 to Man City was Pepe's fault. But if you're looking for a team to work hard, if you're looking for them to do the basics and, and be organised, um, you know, he didn't do it there. So you can ask young players to do that. And they do have the legs. And in some ways, you know, what they lack in perhaps footballing experience, you know, when it comes to doing things with the ball, they're probably pretty malleable when, when you can... Um, tell them where to be and how to be in certain situations. So if, as you say, your, your fullback goes forward, look around and cover the space and make sure you get back and give him the help that he needs rather than stand there and let someone run past you. So I think that was a big part of that. And I think it was probably a, another message from Freddie about what lies ahead and what lies ahead for, for Mikel Arteta. You know, this is a squad which lacks, um, which lacks hard work. Um, probably not something he had to hammer home in fairness but you know I think there was something in the the squad that he picked and also in some of the changes that he made uh, later in the game yeah I think so I mean it was interesting wasn't it Pepe didn't get on uh I mean that didn't even warm up did he barely barely I think he did you know as part of the sort of general rotation uh, but it wasn't you know with a view to coming on at any stage Mm. uh did Genduzi get on? I don't think he did. No. Um, so yeah, it, it, there were some some interesting decisions made by Freddie, and it kind of felt like he was maybe using this last opportunity uh, to, to to send a, a message to a few people in the squad and, and potentially to Arteta too. I talked about it in some depth. You know why Freddie made the choices mm. he did. Um, I, I completely understand it, and I think it's a good thing. I mean, basically. I think we can all agree these players need a kick up the arse collectively. Mm. Uh, And if a bit of a surprise selection or ringing the changes is is part of what's required, then so be it. Any regrets that maybe with 15 minutes to go and Everton, you know, not necessarily troubling us a great deal, he didn't have a go, maybe put Pepe on, maybe put Lacazette on and keep Aubameyang on the left-hand side and, and really have a go at Everton? Or was it more a case that this is a team which needs um, needs a clean sheet more than it needs a win, if that doesn't sound counterintuitive? you know, uh, it's. I mean, obviously, look, three points would be great. Sure. I, I kind of feel like you might be on something there that almost this defensive performance, getting the clean sheet away from home especially, almost might be of more value in the long term to this team. I also think with some of the changes, say Aubameyang coming off, 
that has to be at least in part to do with the fixture list that we face. He's going to be expected to play a lot of football in this period. And I think it's unrealistic to expect him to, to, to do 90 minutes in all those games. You know, yeah. that's why we have two centre forwards of that calibre. So uh, I didn't have a huge issue with that. And I, I think I concur with you that Pepe being left out did feel like a reaction to the Man City game where, you know, defensively he was really, really poor. Well, what we know now with Mikel Arteta having taken over and having um, met the press on Friday and spoken to the official website on Mm. Friday is that we have a head coach who is absolutely, unequivocally not going to tolerate players who don't do the basics, who don't do what they should be doing in terms of... um, their positional discipline, their defensive duties, their what's expected from them uh, as professional footballers. And for me, it's it's one of the most pleasing parts of this appointment because we're still in the dark. You know, we're still in this, you know, we're all very enthused by what Mikel Arteta could be or could potentially be as as manager of this club. But I think what what gave me the most excitement, maybe it was tinged with comfort were when he talked about being ruthless, mm. where he talked about how his ideas and the, what he expects from the players were non-negotiable. These were not things that are up for discussion with players, that you you are going to do what is asked of you or you're going to sit your arse on the bench or you're going to find yourself a different football club. And it's felt to me for a long time like we've missed... Exactly that. Like, I think Emery tried to deal with it a little bit when he came in first to try and make his dressing room a um, an equitable place. So there was mm. no superstars. Everybody is treated the same. So if you train well, you play. If you don't train well, you don't play, regardless of how big your star is or how much you're paid. Um, but I think he had so many other issues to contend with. Um, and I do think the language comes into that as well. Um, you know, he was learning a lot um, along the way that I think it it all sort of fell by the wayside. I think you've said that before, haven't you, where there were moments where he put his foot down and then flip-flopped. And, couldn't and keep ch- it down. Yeah, couldn't yeah. keep it down. Whereas I don't get that sense with Arteta. No, and, you know, two players we've talked about are Ozil and Pepe, and I'm reminded of what happened when Arteta went to City uh, for Guardiola's first season there in 2016-2017, and Sergio Aguero, who was arguably City's best player, previously their most important player, found himself uh, in a situation where it became clear no individual, however gifted, came before the system and the plan. And he was basically put in a situation where he had to adhere to that plan or he had to go. And he was getting pulled off early in games. He was getting dropped for big matches. Uh, Gabriel Jesus was getting the starts instead. There was a lot of talk about whether he'd stay or go. And ultimately, you know, he changed his game and he adapted to what the head coach wanted to do. And I, I hope that Arteta learned something from being there through that experience and that he's able to adhere to those principles in this Arsenal job because we've got a lot of gifted players and the talent of this squad. But 
talent we're discovering is only worth so much without a strategy underpinning it. And, uh, you know, we've got plenty of players who have ability, but it's how they fit and how they're prepared mm. to fit in that really matters. That's a, a really good point about a strategy and a platform and all that kind of stuff, because he was clear as well, wasn't he, about what, you know, he sounds um, very clear about what way he wants the team to play. He, he didn't, mm-hmm. you know, spell it out completely. He didn't say we're going to do this, that and the other. But, you know, there was um, a definite sense that he wanted to have a team which is aggressive, which I like. Uh, a team which dominates the ball, which I like. A team which wants to attack and be, um, yeah, be aggressive, be dominant um, to to put your foot on the neck of the opponent and not lift it up. Whereas with Emery, um, it was more about reacting to what the the opposition did or were going to do, what he thought they were going to do. So I like this. I like this much more proactive. Um, principle that that Arteta is going to try and bring. Now, it, it is going to take him some time, so um, it's going to be difficult to judge in the very short term. But if that is the thing that underpins his whole outlook on the job, then I think he's got a better chance of success because he has got this complete belief in what that is and how it's going to work and how, most importantly, he can make it work. Yes, and I think he has kind of the courage of his convictions. He will have an idea, stick to it, and kind of live or die by that. And I think that's what we need. We need someone who's going to impose an identity on this team. And and, and looking at it and thinking about what Arteta's identity might be, given some of the clues he's given us, you know, he comes from that Spanish tradition, that La Masia tradition of kind of possession over all else. And actually, when you look at this Arsenal team and how defensively they can be exposed one-on-one, I think that is the best policy for this squad. I think this is a team whose best chance of keeping clean sheets is to make sure they have the ball. Uh, and, And in the very short term, if we can improve in possession, I think we'll be so much better off for it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm really encouraged by the, the ideas he's laid out thus far. Yeah, that's a great point, because there's not a great deal he can do with the quality of the defenders that we have at no. this moment in time. He's, he's got big problems, because Bellerin is is back in training, and that's good, but, you know, he is coming back from his cruciate injury. Rob Holding, similarly, having those little injury aches and strains which players get when they come back from a long injury. Tierney is out until March. Uh, Kolasinac is out until uh, next year at some point, mm. um, which I know is not... Not too far in the in the distance, but you know we're, we're playing an 18 year old at left back, or we're shifting everything around. Louise Chambers, Mustafi, y- you know, not really the greatest collection of central defenders we've ever had. So in terms of the actual quality of player that he has back there, there are certain things I'm sure he can do which will uh, uh, make them a little bit better. But you know, I think there's a a, a low ceiling on how good they can be. But if you can protect them, if you don't have them chasing their tails, if you can keep the ball, if you're playing more of the game in the opposition half, Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. it just takes so much more of the pressure off them. Mm. And, you know, again, I apologise for sort of keep referring to City as a, a model, but they win the ball in the opposition third more than any other Premier League team, even Liverpool. 
I think, over some of their centre-halves defensively. But they do their defending in other parts of the pitch. They they either win the ball high or they force the opposition to see possession or they commit a, a cynical foul. And I, I, it would not surprise me at all to see Arsenal committing more fouls high up the pitch, stopping more counters before they get to the point where they can get at our, our vulnerable centre-halves. Yeah, did you see that clip that was doing the rounds of the, the Amazon thing? Um, ah, know, yeah, 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 I have seen so, it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, basically for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's a pre-game uh, discussion in the city dressing room and Arteta is telling, I think it could be Gundogan and um, maybe David Silva or whoever it is, you know, make the foul. Yeah. If if you can make the foul, make the foul. If there's and a it, transition, yeah. make a foul. I think that's literally that, that's, the quote. Yeah, so um, that is highly cynical mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but I fucking yeah. love it because yeah. it's the reality of how you compete in the Premier League like if you're too nice and if you're saying well it's not sporting to take the man down or to you know block his way or whatever it might be you know you get run over and we have been too often um it might cost us a bit in terms of cards, I think, as we get used to that. And, you know, we have um, Granite Xhaka as a player, for example, who who, who does make those kind of fouls. Um, mm. But too often they're kind of because he's got caught himself and he's getting himself out of trouble rather you, you than... You don't want Xhaka to be making those fouls right on the edge of our penalty box. You want... Halfway you know, line. Yeah, you want it to be Aubameyang chasing back or Pepe, you know, instead of that guy waltzing past him as he did in the City game, hang a leg out, a leg out, bring him down. It's the end of that attack. You know, I mean, cynically and pragmatically, that's where an area where we really have to improve. Mm. So what were your overriding thoughts when you watched the press conference and watched Arteta? Um, mm. I, I thought it was... Extremely impressive, very accomplished. He was out there on his own. He didn't have anybody with him. Um, He was confident. He knew what he wanted to communicate. He knew what he wanted to say. Uh, It was, you know, after a period in which we've struggled to connect with the, the head coach, it felt like things have flipped completely the other way. I mean, you know, again, we're saying all this without him having managed a game and he's still to manage a game. But when you see somebody who is that confident and who who obviously has big ideas about what he wants to do at this football club with full awareness of how bad things are right mm-hmm. now, uh, you know, there's something very encouraging about that. Yeah, look, as soon as it was actually announced, when you know Arsenal dropped their tweet at 2pm or whatever it was on the Friday, I felt such a rush, actually. And I didn't expect it. I know we talked about Arteta and his candidacy on here a lot. And he's someone who I think both of us thought was a really strong candidate. But when it came to pass, it was a really exciting moment. And seeing his press conference kind of just brought that to life even more. And I'm really pleased and proud that Arsenal have taken a gamble on this guy because he seems incredibly adept. You know, we need to be forward thinking. We need to be bold in this appointment. Mm. And 
I, you know, I think we have been. And look, nobody's saying it's a sure thing and that he'll definitely work out. But when you look at it on paper, one of the most highly regarded young coaches in the game, we've got the youngest manager in the Premier League and it's someone who we all have an affinity with and who who, who has communicated ideas to us already that fans are ready to buy into. So given what we've had for the past 18 months, which is that slight sense of detachment and not really understanding where we were heading, this is all so welcome. And yeah, it just feels like a fresh start. It's that buzz that you have where you're like, I want to watch every game and I can't wait for them to come around. Yeah. Um, what was, what was, I think most impressive for me was that I, I looked at this guy and I looked at, you know, he, he made the point himself, didn't he? Um, he was asked about how are you going to convince the players, you know, when you're not experienced? And he said, well, I can't convince them that yeah. I have experience because I don't. And the other point he made was like, it, it's so strange now I feel very young. He said as a player, he always felt quite old. You know, he was mm. when he was 33, 32, whatever it was, you know, he felt like the old one. Now that he's he's um, the youngest, I think he's the youngest manager in the Premier League, you know, mm. he, he feels young. But I, I looked at him and I thought, yeah, I can listen to this guy. I can see him communicating and representing the football club in a way which I've missed, you know, and, and it's not to be critical of Emery because um, he was learning a new language and maybe um, maybe he would have got there and maybe he wouldn't, you know. But I think how you talk about the job that you're doing is, is really important. And I believed Mikel Arteta when he said the things that he said. Mm. I just mm. absolutely believed him. Now maybe I'm maybe I'll turn out to be in Egypt for that, but you know, it was hard not to just go, yes. I can I can listen to you. You can be the voice of this football club. I watched the Raoul and Edu video. Uh I had a question about that. I'll just see if I can find it here because we might as well just ask it now that it's come up. Mm. Um and it comes from I should have these things. It's from Ivan Gazidis. <laughs> and he says, do you miss me yet? <laughs> yes, Ivan, I do. Um, basically, I can't find it now, but it was the question was, what did you think of their their video? Um, and I, I, I listened to Raul, and I sort of found it hard to... Oh, it's from Anthony, who's at Aardvark McCarthy. He said, Raul and Edu were like two guilty kids in that interview. Bad vibes it gave me. I sensed dishonesty in them. What are your thoughts? And it wasn't so much dishonesty, but like, what was that great Alex Ferguson quote about pasta? I don't, I've got no idea. <laughs> Ferguson had this quote about, uh, let me see. Alex Ferguson pasta. Yeah. Okay, when an Italian says, tells me it's got you tell me. Yeah, when an Italian tells me it's pasta on the plate, I check under the sauce to make sure. They're the inventors of the smoke screen. So he was talking about, you know, gamesmanship and, and what have you. I, I'd be a bit like that with Raul at this sure. at this moment. But with Arteta, I was, uh, you know, I just, I just believed. Maybe it's because I want to or something. I don't quite know, but. 
Well, that's natural as well. And there's nothing to be ashamed of in that. You know, we don't have to be uh, cynical about everything. And, you know, Arteta is saying the stuff fans. So, you know, I mean, we've got to take all the excitement where we can get it. And I suppose I was a little bit more encouraged by Edu talking about, you know, the rapport he has felt with Arteta and and Raul somewhat unsurprisingly saying, you know, a lot of this is about the relationship between Edu and uh, Arteta, which potentially is him kind of distancing himself from anything if it, if it goes wrong. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's all about Arteta for me. And, uh, you know, I like the fact he's calling himself the manager, even if he is the head coach. I like the fact that he doesn't want to be babysat in his press conference, have anyone sat next to him, you know, from the corporate side. I like the fact that he wants this to be his football club and his football team and you know we're in the middle of the season it's a flurry of games coming up and he's the man calling the shots Mm. and you know I trust him as well I do trust him actually and I think it's a tricky thing because we have to have some balance and we have to have some recognition that what will he have had four days training prior to Bournemouth and then for the next game it's a really difficult task to turn this ship around uh, overnight and I think it's not going to be overnight but at least whatever direction we end up heading whatever journey we go on we've got someone who can kind of communicate with us through it and and act as a real figurehead and a leader which is what this club needs yeah it feels like that's what we've been missing for a little while you know mm-hmm. I'm not sure that that Emery had the authority to to be that or even the personality to be that I don't know that that's who he who he is anyway you know he's a football coach and he's a coach, he's a coach yeah. and that's kind of it you know he he was stepping into some very big shoes as well I think we have to we have to remember that um, but uh, you know Arteta comes into this job and he understands he understands the football club he understands the football club um, as it is today versus where you know it was when he was playing here and where it wanted to be but never quite got there perhaps when when he was playing um so i think he he does understand and i do think he has that personality i think he's got that that um that edge to him that willingness to take responsibility um and the confidence as well to come into a club like Arsenal at 37 years of age, having never managed a football club before and to talk the way he's talking about what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. It's very interesting to me because I do feel like, you know, if he was being asked to compromise in any way, he just strikes me as that guy that if he was being asked to compromise his own beliefs, he wouldn't be in that job right now. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I heard someone said to me, another journalist said to me, oh, this feels a bit like Arsenal hiring an inexperienced manager because, you know, he can be a bit of a patsy and he'll do what they want him to do. And that, for me, could not be further away than who I think Mikel Arteta is. Mm. I, I, I really, really believe that, you know, there was a kind of nice line about uh, how his interview process kind of became as much about him interviewing... Arsenal as anything else and I you know that tallies with who I think he is he's obsessive about detail he's incredibly principled and he knows that he stepped away from Man City and the City Football Group 
you know, in a time where he was very valued and cherished there and incredibly appreciated to take a risk on his reputation coming to this football club. And he would not have done that if he didn't A, have the confidence or B, feel that he could kind of manipulate the situation to be how he needs it to be. And yeah, it's just so nice really as an Arsenal fan to look at the guy sat up there in the press conference and think he gets it. And I really think Arteta gets it. And when you hear him talk about what Arsenal means to him and how much of a privilege it was for him to play for Arsenal. Not every player talks about the club in those terms. Uh, Per Mertzak is another one who really did and who really understood what he was part of. And I think to have those two guys in the club at the same time, working in tandem, I'm really happy about it. Mm, we have a question here from Kyle, who's that destructible cake. In hindsight, how important was 2011's trolley dash to Arsenal's future? I mean, it's amazing to think that, you know, after the crazy game at Old Trafford, the 8-2, when we went out and just went, oh, fuck, we've got to get some players in here. And there was a very significant element of that to it. Um that two of those players, and I think two of the, the clearly the two most important players that we brought in that that uh, September or mm. late August, whenever it was, um, they they did a lot for us on the pitch in terms of uh, stopping the team sliding into a state which might have um, been very difficult to get out of. Something perhaps similar to what we're seeing now. Mm. Um, that one of them is now the manager and the other is the the academy manager. You would yeah. have got long odds on that, wouldn't you? I think so. I think so. Um, presumably Yossi Benayoun will be chief executive next and everything, head of football, Park Chu Young, and we'll all be fine. But I favourite clip, actually, from all the content that Arsenal have created. I know what you're going to say here. Arteta's arrival is, is that interaction with Per Mertzsacker when he's, um, it comes across him in one of the offices at, at Colney and they're talking about the positioning of the cameras on the training pitch. I just, I, I really liked that. But, you know, these are two guys who I, I do trust and that's yeah. what you want as a fan. I just liked the bit where he came in and it was just real deadpan, like Mertesacker. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, that was an interesting video. I thought that was a very interesting video where you're sort of seeing him uh, brought back in and, you know, shown his office and they even had his name on the door already, uh, which, yeah. he, which he appreciated. He liked that, yeah. But uh, let me ask you this. I mean, what do you think in the very short term is the is the one thing he can do to, uh, well, I say turn things around? Because I think probably that is the right term because we've got one win in our last... 12 or 13 games and we're 11th in the Premier League table um, and I know it's you know a few wins um, would, would start moving you up very quickly but it is a very inauspicious place for Arsenal Football Club to be in at the end of December you know halfway through a season basically you know we're, we're out of the top 10 I think it's our lowest league position going into Christmas for X amount of years you know we're, we're shattering all these records or you know we're, we're, we're breaking records in, in terms of how bad things are so what do you realistically expect him to 
achieve or to try and implement over the next few weeks? Uh, not a lot. <laughs> not a lot, realistically. I think it's really difficult for him to be coming in at this particular time of year. And it's actually, I think, really unusual for a manager to come into a big club at this point in the season with, with the fixtures being so frenetic. You know, there's a reason we all looked at those international breaks and thought, well, that might be the time. Um, I almost feel like the immediate imperative has to be trying to get some points, trying to accumulate some points because our, our form and our results have been so bad. And granted, our performances have been too, but I just think, you know, the closer to the relegation zone of the season, just completely spiralling is present. And I think... Uh, it, I, I don't think it's realistic to expect Arteta to completely change the philosophy, the style of the team in this Christmas period. I think what he has to do is try and get some semblance of organisation, try and pick you know the right 11 players to get some points on the board between now and New Year's Day. I, I, for me, that is enough. Mm. Uh, in the short term what what do you think yeah i think just organization yeah um work right endeavor you know tactically there's not a huge amount he can work on he's pretty much hamstrung defensively because of the the injuries that we have uh we don't have a great deal going on in midfield as well um we've got some questions about the january transfer win- window so we'll hold on to those for part 2 but I think if he can get this team better organized, if players are going to um, do the basics, you know, uh, do their duty defensively, if they could be a bit more, uh, even a little bit more um, ambitious in possession, that would be a couple of little steps forward. I'm not talking about, you know, playing beautiful triangles up and down the pitch. I do feel sometimes, as I think I said this in the live blog on, on Sunday watching Everton, um, I think that Arteta's first training session should basically introduce the concept of a triangle to the Arsenal players when they're on the pitch because, you know, they don't seem to understand it. Um, mm-hmm. we, we saw a little bit of it early in the second half where they started to play a little bit. But I just think giving them... Um, organization, giving them structure, and from there, building a little bit of confidence, uh, you know, when we're on the ball. And if we are just even 5-10% more confident on the ball, I think we'll pass the ball forwards a bit more. Mm. And I think mm. that could have an impact on how we, uh, how we can affect the opposition. Because at the moment, there's a safety first element to the way that we're playing. And we pass the ball backwards a lot, and we pass the ball square a lot. And I, you know, I get it. Uh, to keep possession, you've got to do that. Um, but it doesn't feel like we're kind of another way we used to do it, and we'd pass the ball around, and then you felt like we were just waiting for a moment in which we could, uh, for want of a better word, penetrate the opposition. Mm. We, we don't do that anymore. We just pass the ball to keep the ball um, without really looking to do anything. So I just think work right endeavor all these intangibles that you know um are not necessarily the best way to judge a team but we can all see them we can all see when a team is working hard and trying hard and the players are trying hard so um 
I think that could have a, a positive impact. But of course, the fixtures are pretty difficult because we've got um, Bournemouth away. Maybe not the most difficult, but then you've got Chelsea and you've got Manchester United at home. Again, in this season, you might say they're not the most... not the best Chelsea team or the best Manchester United team will ever have faced, but that hasn't stopped us making teams like that look good uh, in the past. What would be a good return from those three games to your mind? Right now, you know, I think I'd take, if we could get six points, five or six points, I think I'd be all right with that. Yeah, I think that would be good. You know, if we could beat Bournemouth and then draw the next two, I know it would be perhaps a little bit frustrating, but I think we've got to be realistic. Um, yeah, six points, seven points would be would be really good. That would be outstanding to my mind. I think, I think five would be a really a really good return. Anything above that is 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 great. Given you know the general direction of travel and what it's felt like in the last few weeks. Mm. Um, and, you know, those two home games give Arteta an opportunity to kickstart this revolution. You know, if he can get there, who knows what it might do for a squad that have looked so low on confidence and a fan base that have been pretty exhausted, really, by the the last few months. A win there, a signature win in either of those Chelsea or United games could be really massive, I think, in this season. Yeah. Do you feel excited? <laughs> to, to borrow a phrase from Josh Kroenke, I, I do I feel excited. And, um, you know, it's been a... Uh, what's the word? A bit of a roller coaster to get here. You know, with everything that we've seen, kind of since the spring, <laughs> I wouldn't um, want to be on that roller coaster if this is. No, where I mean you it's, up, it's, it's mainly not. downhill. It's, it's, um, it's essentially a slide covered in shit. Yeah, that's yeah. about as good. As- uh, it's been a difficult, you know, period to get to this point, but I, I look at it and I still have a degree of sympathy with the decision to not give Arteta the job eighteen months ago. I, I can still understand why. People were hesitant, but in the position we're in now, it absolutely feels like the right thing and the right time. And I am really excited. Um, And more than that, I'm really prepared to give it time. You know, you can't bring in a guy who is as inexperienced as Arteta in this much of a mess and expect it to be dramatically different overnight. I think... I think our job as fans here is to have faith in this head coach as well and make sure he has the support and the platform that he needs to do his abilities. And, I, you know, I'm looking forward to that as much as anything. The fact that we we don't know what the next six months is going to bring. We're going to be discovering things about Arteta, discovering mm. things about this squad. Um and, you know, it's not a free hit because Europa League's still on the table, league places are still up for grabs, but mm. we're in a process of, it's kind of research and development now, between now and May. And if it's anything more than that, that'll be a bonus. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think we're in a position, and I said this, I think, last week, where we have to just reassess. We have to take stock. We, we tried the quick fix. And that's why mm. there was a lot of judgment when it came to Emery, because he was brought in to get us back into the top four by hook or by crook, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was clearly why they went for an experienced manager. 
So he, he could either get us into the Champions League via the Europa League, which he's done before with Sevilla, uh, uh, or, you know, finish in the top four, which he should have done. And that's why the judgment was there. And that's yep. why the pressure was applied to him. Um, some people might say relatively quickly. But I think where we are now, we have fallen to the point where it requires knocking down to build back up again. You know, not everything, but it is going to be a process. It is going to be a process. And I think, you know, Arteta isn't going to be afraid to make difficult decisions. Um, He is going to bomb some people out of it if they don't get on board. Uh, And I do think that with the scale of the collapse, if you like, of, of our form, of our confidence, of our stature, we have to be realistic and say he could improve us in some ways in the next six months between now and May. Then we have a summer in which recruitment will be key. um, A full preseason will be important. And then we look to next season and we make more improvements. Maybe they're marginal, but, you know, if we can see the green shoots, the garden beginning to grow, you know, it's not going to be without its difficult days and it's not going to be without its problems. Um, we may have to deal with some uh, slugs or snails or whatever. But, you know, if we can see the garden beginning to blossom, then I think people will be on board with that and, and, and will be uh, able to give it time. Uh, but it is important that we we don't think that just because he's in, just because he talks really well, just because he has great ideas and can communicate them, just because he's ruthless and just because he's, you know, he's going to bring a bit of, you know, a, a hard edge to a club which requires, um, you know, some, uh, yeah, it requires it. Um, it's not going to happen in four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks or whatever it's going to be. Um, so I do think it is incumbent on us to to be aware of that, to give it time and, and let this happen. And, you know, like you say, there's no assurances, but, you know, there's no other way to realistically deal with this as a fan other than to say we're kind of starting from scratch here. Yeah. And at least we are. You know, it's not a case that we're sort of on the cusp of the Champions League places and it only takes a little push for us to get there. You know, we are as low as we have been as a football club in more than 20 years, you Mm. know. So we are starting from scratch to an extent for all intents and purposes. And, well, I was going to say the only way is up. The last few months have made me very cautious (laughs) about saying things like that, but it does feel that way. And it does feel like we have got a guy now who most people... I mean, I've not... And who's seen Mikel Arteta's press conference who hasn't felt a buzz off that and felt yeah. excited by that and that speaks for itself sure does okay look we're going to take a break right here uh, we will be back with your questions and more in part two right after this When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. And if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon, we've got a, a, a funny, cool pod for you, which is going to drop between Christmas and New Year in that sort of mid-space where we're not quite sure what day it is mm. and whether we're going to be recording a regular podcast or not. Uh, we've got to work out that schedule, actually. I think we already did, did we? Did we? I don't know. We'll chat about it afterwards. We'll chat about it afterwards. Yeah. Anyway, um, myself and James and Tim Stillman recorded the um, A Decade of Banter uh, which looks back at 2010 to 2020 from an Arsenal point of view and some of the crazy, mad, it-could-only-happen-to-Arsenal moments that went on during those 10 years. And there were quite a number of them, James. Oh, ever so many. Yeah, I mean, now that we're all feeling a bit better about the club, uh, we can really enjoy <laughs> the the banter levels of the last decade in earnest. Yes. So, you know, there's there's all you, the uh, usual suspects in there and a few little extra stories and, and recollections and reminiscences. Reminiscence? Reminiscences? Reminiscences? Mm. Reminiscences. Reminiscences. Um, you can get that if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. If you're not, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. It costs just uh, a fiver a month and you get access to all the content that's there, ad-free apps, ad-free podcasts, um, and lots more besides. So if you fancy signing up, please do. Uh, that would be great to, uh, to have you along. So, right. That'll be there for you if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Right. Questions. Do you want to go first? Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's let me go first. Um, right. 
Tiberal, who's at Kajobo Berlin on Twitter, says, please discuss our left-back situation. Can our left-backs from the academy solve the lack of options or will Saka be first choice now? Really good question. I think with Bellerin back, if Bellerin is back and fit... Mm-hmm. then you have the potential to play Ainsley Maitland-Niles there, who has played there before, of mm-hmm. course. Um, yeah, I think it is a, a, a problem position. I do wonder how how long you can realistically expect an 18-year-old like Saka to play out of position in the Premier League without it becoming an issue for the player. And the team. I know you were writing in uh, the Athletic about how Arteta worked with Fabian Delph and um, Zinchenko, Zinchenko yeah. you know, and turned those midfielders into left backs. I know Zinchenko is a little bit more inexperienced, but Delph was a fairly experienced player. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Saka is smart enough and intelligent enough to to take that coaching on board and and do it. But I, I think it is a bit of a worry. It is a bit of a worry um, because of Tierney's injury, because Kolasinac is injured. Um, well, ideally, you wouldn't play anybody at left-back in all these games, would you? You'd like to rotate, uh, if possible. Even Would you? Even if it is Saka, I'm not sure if you can put him through every single minute of this fixture list without repercussions. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I... I guess it's not quite as bad because the Leeds game isn't till the Monday, so it's not quite as condensed as it is for everybody else. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a game you could rotate for more easily. And yeah. maybe an 18-year-old is more physically able to cope with the demands of a fixture pileup than, you know, somebody who's, you know, heading towards 30, for example. Mm, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know how they deal with it. I mean, they're just going to have to look at the players in training and look at who's available. Um, you know, at the moment, Maitland-Niles is needed at, at right back. Um, I'll be interested to see what he does with the team for Bournemouth because, you know, can you can you make Chelsea a game in which you bring Bellerin back, you know, without getting some minutes into him? Like, can you yeah. play Bellerin against Bournemouth and United? If that makes sense, you know, maybe. and maybe Maitland-Niles against Chelsea, something like that. Or, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a very difficult one. I mean, would you venture a guess? At what I mean, Ashish on Twitter asked us, what do we think the team might be against Bournemouth? Is, do you think it's impossible to really have a, an educated guess at? I think it's, I think we could have an educated guess. I think, obviously, Leno in goal. Yeah. I think if Bellerin is fit, he might play Bellerin at right back. Right. We don't have Callum Chambers for Bournemouth because he is suspended. Suspended. So you, you so, imagine Socrates and Louise. Socrates and Louise. You know, the other option is bringing bringing back Mustafi, um, which I I think is kind of last resort. Even though Socrates and Louise have been bad. Um. Then I think you've got Torreira. I think you've got... I wonder about Xhaka. I've got a question about Xhaka because there, there's a lot of talk about um, him potentially leaving in January. Mm. 
I wonder. I mean, Terrera. I mean, you could do Terrera, Willock, and Genduzzi, perhaps. Yeah. With Terrera, you know, anchoring and Willock and Genduzzi either side. Mm. And then I think you're going to have Obama Yang up front. Pepe. And Martinelli's a doubt, so maybe we might see maybe we might see the Lacazette Pepe Aubameyang thing with Aubameyang playing on the on the left yeah possibly so you don't have Mesut Ozil in that team you, you don't think no. he'll be in Arteta's first team not away from home no no yeah, not, it, not if he wants not if he wants running not if he wants athleticism not if he wants yeah I mean look I think you know Ozil's body language doesn't do him any favours because I don't think he's necessarily uh, a guy who doesn't run. No, you know, ground. He, he does cover the ground. It's just what he does when he gets there. Um, and it's the intent, I guess, you know. Yeah. So, so no, I yeah, that would be my guess. And that's it's, it's a good guess. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it will be... Mm, I think he won't bring Bellerin quite back yet. I think he'll start him on the bench. I think mm. it'll be Maitland-Niles. Vaguely, vaguely the same. Maitland-Niles at right back. I think it will be Saka at left back. Socrates Louise. Uh, Torreira. I think he'll stick with Chaka, I think. Mm. Um, and then I... For... Pff, I mean... I, if Sabayos was was more fit, I might be tempted to say Sabayos. Yeah, he's not. Um, he's not. I genuinely had forgotten about him. Somebody mentioned him to me today yeah. on Twitter, and I had I was like, oh yeah, him. Like he'd completely gone out of my mind when I was thinking about midfield. Yeah, I think you might be right. I've got a hunch maybe Lacazette will be in there um, with Aubameyang to one side. Uh, yeah, that, I do just wonder about that. Um, if he might value Lacazette's tenacity in an away game, I know he's been poor in front of goal away from home, mm. and then and then I would say Martinelli, but given that he's a doubt, I suppose Pepe. Yeah. So maybe it will be that front three, but it's it's quite exciting not really knowing. To yeah. be honest with you, and like he's going to make his decision based on um, what he sees in training who's responded to him this week, who he feels is going to carry out the instructions uh, that that he wants um, to impart on the team. So, you know, it's all up in the air. It's all up in the air. Um, yeah, I, I had a, a question of that nature, actually. Where is it now? Um, oh, I appear to have lost it. Don't worry. It was something about who, you know, who do, who do you think is going to respond well to Arteta's arrival and who do you think might struggle right um, yeah I had but, a question like that actually from boom, 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 boom. Uh, why can't I find, oh yeah here from old Kanye who's, right. who's at shit talk 753 seems to tally up um, he says which individual player will see the most improvement um pff. I'm really optimistic for Hector Bellerin, I have to say. I know he improved initially when Unai Emery came in, but he and Arteta have a really good relationship. They always have done. 
And I think fullbacks will be incredibly important to Arteta. You know, if he uses them in any way similar to the way Pep did, then they're going to be incredibly tactically significant. Uh, so I hope he can kind of fulfil the potential we've all spoken about being there for a long time now. And my other sort of sneaky pick for Arteta is Emil Smith-Rowe. I just look at him and I, I can envisage him being a player Arteta would like. Um, I don't know if it's that he reminds me a bit of a kind of mini De Bruyne. I don't know, but there's something I really like. I think that he might you know, mm. see something in him. Yeah, I, I thought quite a bit about Willock and, and Smith Rowe as well yeah. in, in relation to this question. I think, you know, Pepe is somebody um, when we hear about how Arteta worked with Raheem Sterling. True, yeah. That he would be um, somebody who could benefit from that level of coaching, assuming that he's, you know, he's open to it and to, to doing that work. Um, but I kind of feel like we're at a point where you know, he's not going to make Aubameyang any better at this point. You know what I mean? He's not going to get a huge amount more out of Lacazette. I think they're the players that they are. Mm. But what he's got are a lot of young players with potential um, in whom the club are are placing a lot of, uh, a lot of faith. Um, and I think that's probably been part of the discussion with Arteta is to, you know, to to make these guys, um, if not first-team players for Arsenal, then perhaps more valuable assets uh, for the club. But, I, you know, mm. th- they will give him many of the things that he is looking for in the players that he wants in his team. You know, they've got the energy, they've got the work rate, you know, there is technique there, there's talent there and potential there, which he can, which he can really mould, you know. Um, so I feel like they could could very well benefit. It's just whether or not there is any pressure in the short term to achieve certain things or whether there will be um, fixes in January or, or what have you, um, which might curtail some of their playing time. But Yeah, I mean, Nicholas Alm on Twitter, uh, who's at Nick Alm, said, what, what kind of signings, profile or player do you think Arteta might be looking for, presumably in January. Uh, and do you think he'll be able to lure anyone significant from Man City? To the second thing, no. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to see why that would be attractive. Yeah, I don't know. And I don't know that that would be the right thing for him to do. You know what I mean? To sort of mm. go and, well, look, if City are prepared to sell a player um, to Arsenal, then that's fine. But I just feel like that's not something he would necessarily try um, right you know unless he's aware of a player at City that he thinks can do a job at Arsenal who isn't perhaps happy there or isn't necessarily in the long term plans but I can't think of who that might be you know um, particularly if we're talking no. about somebody significant what kind of player I think he's going to look for technically really good footballers yeah, technically, you know, who've got the confidence, who've got the the ability to play the kind of football that he wants, which is going to be possession football, it's going to be attacking football. But even if you're a defender, you're going to need to contribute to that. So I think he will look for, A, 
um, athletes, guys who can run for 90 minutes, and if the game goes to extra time, they can run for another 30 minutes and it won't cost them, you know? Those guys who can just run all day because there's not, not enough of that, but coupled with real technical ability. Yeah. Technically clean players, I think, you know, who... Yeah, I mean, that should go without saying. Um, and I think we'll try to do some business in January. Yeah. Um, I, I think they have to. And I think it is their intention to do so based on a couple of things I've heard. I, you know, I think it will involve some players leaving. We mentioned Shaka. Mm. Uh, you know, that's that could be one. Uh, it wouldn't was another one or two. Um, because we've actually got quite a lot of numbers in the squad and probably not a vast amount to spend. So I think a couple might go out, but I think they will try and bring people in because, yeah, you know, we need it. We need something. Yeah, I don't think you can hire a new coach, uh, even if it is mid-season, and not give him something to work with in the transfer market when it opens, you know? Mm. I think, I'm not I'm not saying his acceptance of the job would have been dependent on assurances that, that he'd be given money to spend, but I think any manager worth his salt, whether he's 37, 57, or 107, is not going to take the Arsenal job unless he's got some kind of assurance from the club that there'll be a, a bit of backing in the transfer market. Of course. You know, um, if if Xhaka is going, and there do appear to be a lot of stories about this, he's been linked with a move to Hertha Berlin very strongly in Germany. Mm. Uh, it's been in build. It's been in kicker. Um, the old classic, he's already told his teammates he's leaving kind of yeah. thing. You know, it, it sort of tallies with, with um, some things I've heard, and I don't know if you have either about his general uh, disgruntlement, Mm-hmm. With life at Arsenal right now, I think the 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 incident at Crystal Palace has been uh, papered over, but I don't think it lies far below the surface for Granite Xhaka. No. So that would not surprise me if Xhaka was to be sold in January, but it would also suggest to me very strongly that there is a midfielder on the way in because... There would have to be. There would have to be, yeah. There has to be. You've got to have some measure of um, experience to bring into the squad. So if you're letting Shaka go, you can't. You just can't not replace him. So if it's a case that Shaka is on his way out, then I would I would suspect very strongly that uh, that a midfielder is coming in. And um, I don't know if you heard anything. There's some stories going around that maybe we might try and get William Saliba back. In January, but I'm not sure uh, how realistic that is. I don't know how is. feasible that yeah, is. Yeah, I don't know that it is either. Based on what I have been told about that deal, I, I'm not seeing that as uh, a likely outcome. But I think we could all look at the Arsenal defence and say, kind of irrespective of Saliba arriving or not, you know, we need something there sooner or later. You know, if it's not this January, it's mm. going to be this summer. I'm not sure there's anyone who you look at and, and go, well, he's the obvious partner. For Saliba, um, I mean the fact that Freddie has chopped and changed his centre halves as tells its own story. I think. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, we could move somebody like Mustafi on and bring in a, a central yeah, defender too. I think that I think that 
has some merit to it as an idea because you know if something comes along that's attractive to Mustafi he's going to take that isn't he rather than just sitting predominantly on the bench as he has for most of the season especially now the group stage of the Europa League is is done and dusted um, I think that becomes quite plausible that he would go and that opens up an opportunity in the squad for somebody else yeah yeah um, if if they can get that done if they can yes. get that done that that seems to me to be the most realistic um, transfer business that we might do a central mm. midfielder and a central defender perhaps it wouldn't surprise me if we tried to bring in a left back on loan yeah I think well given the injuries there that's got to be in their thoughts mm. but but what's encouraging is oh, I mean is this encouraging uh, is that when Arsenal sacked Emery they didn't write off the January transfer window at this po- that point and you know the, the recruitment people that are in place at the club have been working on targets now of course Arteta coming in does change things because he's absolutely going to want a seat at that there's no way He's just going to say, yeah, go and get who you want and I'll yeah. deal with it. Um, I don't think that's a possibility. But yeah, so uh, he said in his press conference today, they're going to sit down and talk about it in the next couple of days. But yeah, there there are areas that they've mm. been looking at. And they are. I was always very sceptical about January, given what we spent in the summer. But I think the state that we're in and the arrival of a new head coach sort of requires it now. Mm. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the recruitment that we did in January was, um, if it lowered the average age of the squad, you know, not necessarily getting rid of a 27, 28, 28 year old jacket and bringing in another 28 year old. I think we might look to slightly younger players than that. Wouldn't surprise me to see a couple of young Spanish players come in as well. Um, yeah. You'd so, think there'll be players that, you know, Arteta would have an awareness of. I mean, mm. question from Cluck the Rotisserie Chicken on the Discord. That's <laughs> uh, a good username. And Cluck says, based on the idea of rebuilding, who do you consider to be the players we should look to rebuild our team around? Who are the pillars... Uh, and what type of player type should we look to bring in to make this the Arsenal team we'd like to get to be? I, I'm going to stick to more the first part of that because I, I looked at that question and I thought, it's because if you ask me who are the kind of marquee players in this team, well, for the most part, they're the ones, uh, like it's someone like Aubameyang who mm. you know, is coming off of 31 or whatever it might be. Um, so who should we be building around? That is a really difficult question. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Because you can't, you can't build around a 30-year-old striker. You know, you can put in place the, the structures which get the best out of him, but ultimately, you know, he's, he's heading towards the, the end of his career. Like, I'm not writing him off. I still think he's going to score lots of goals. But, you know, realistically, in long-term planning, you don't build around him. I I think my answer to this is that I don't know. I don't know yet who those players are because we'll need to see who steps up and who performs under Arteta between now and the end of the season before we can properly answer that question. 
I think your gut would tell you some of the younger players. Yeah. You know, Torreira, another one who could, you know, I wrote about that today. You know, somebody who could learn a lot from Arteta in terms of um, getting back to what he's good at as a defensive midfield player. Mm. I think that's something that we could do quite quickly and it could make a difference. Um, you know, there's there's obviously talent in Genduzi. It needs to be polished in a big way. Um, you know, he's got talent, he's got personality, but he's far from the finished article. Um, so if Arteta can can start to polish that particular uh, rough diamond, then he could be somebody who you build around. But, you know, you're looking at the young players. You're looking at, you know, Pepe, who's 24. You're looking at Martinelli, who's who's 18. Maybe it's about just going all in on youth. I don't know. I don't know. What's hard is what you would look at the spine of the team. Mm. But with the exception of Bernd Leno... I think it's very difficult to pin too much on that spine because yeah. centre-half is a mess. Uh, Rob Holding was kind of the big hope there. He's really, really had limited involvement this season. Um, in central midfield, yeah, there are things we... Torreira and things we really like about Ganduzi, but nothing really that suggests a kind of natural fit or balance um, yet between those guys. Uh, and then at, at, right at the top, you've got Aubameyang and Lacazette, both of whom are in contractual situations that are running down. Aubameyang is over 30. So mm. it's really tough. I think if you look at what we paid for Pepe, I think you've really got to try and make that money work for you, yeah. haven't you? Yeah. Um, you've got to try and make him a pretty important part. And I, I liked what you said about the work Arteta did with Sterling on his off getting into goal scoring positions you know that could really benefit someone like Pepe if Pepe kind of knuckles down and is willing to kind of you know adapt his game he could be something really special Um, well I mean he either does or he's gone that's what it appears to be you know that's it's Arteta's way or it's the highway Um, and Arteta obviously will take some time to get to know him as a, a, a player and get to know him as a personality and, and figure out a way to try and get the best out of him. I mean, that's his job with all the players. But, you know, if it's a case that Pepe, regardless of his price tag, isn't willing to do what Arteta wants him to do, then I think, you know, um, you, you just don't keep trying to cram a square peg into a round hole. You know, you, mm. have, to make, you have to make a decision. So... Um, yeah, look, maybe there's a bit more pressure when it comes to someone like Pepe from on high where they say, look, you've got to you've got to get this guy to work. It doesn't matter so much if, you know, if Xhaka doesn't work at this point, you know, he's, uh, you know, he is what he is and we can sell him back to the Bundesliga and, you know, we move on. But the investment of money in, in Pepe and the profile and the way we did it, you know, I, I think there are probably people invested in that transfer who, who really need it to work. Yeah, for sure. Lots of people. Mm. Um, can I ask you this question, which yeah. is from Adi Demola Akintola, who's at Adi Demolisher on Twitter. Uh, and Adi says, and I ran a poll actually on Twitter about this, which provoked some intriguing results. So he says, with Albert interested, and with 18 months left on his contract, would you sell for 70 million in January? And just as a bit of context, I did put a poll out on this on Twitter right. saying if Arsenal are offered their money back for Aubameyang in January 
should they take it? And from 28,000 votes, 77% of yes, which surprised me. Mm. I think it's more the idea of what we could potentially do do with well, I mean did you say 70 million that wasn't what we paid for him was it it was uh, so the, the question was what would you do if you got an offer of 70 million uh, I, my question was yeah. what would you do if you got your money back which was what Evan something like that yeah I think you would probably have to take it really I think so do you think you'd get that much less in the summer? Depends who wants to buy him. Mm. I mean, you're just talking, it's a hypothetical anyway. So what, what you would get in the summer doesn't doesn't make any difference. Um, I guess it depends on how willing the club is to write off this season. Yeah. You know? It would hurt us in the short term. It definitely would. It would make... Our slim chances of of winning a trophy, uh, a cup competition, even more slim. Yeah. Um, If you were just going to write off the season and really go for the long-term planning, if you were offered your money back for Aubameyang, I think you would probably have to take it and then reinvest. Um, But, you know, I don't think that is what's going to happen because, A, I don't think anyone is going to offer us that for Aubameyang anyway. Um, But, you know, as a pure hypothetical, yeah. It's a really tricky one because... Yeah, because nobody else scores for us at the moment. (laughs) So that's, you know, it's a fairly significant part of a team's success is someone who can score goals. So, Yeah, it's really tough. My inclination would be to hold on to Aubameyang until the summer. And I think if he's not going to sign a new deal then, I think you have to sell him actually. But I think given that there are still things at stake this season, yeah, um, they need him. It's not as if anybody else in the squad looks like they're ready to sort of step up to that plate. No, we're, we're a team which has, you know, maybe three players who can score goals. And that's not enough. That's nowhere near enough. You know, we don't have anywhere near enough goal threats. So, you know, if you want to win the Europa League or at least give yourself a chance of winning the Europa League, then, you know, there's no way you can take it. Uh, Unless you're going to immediately spend it on a replacement. But I don't know who who you could get who's going to score goals at the same rate. Um, So, yeah. Anyway, I think we're... It's, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah, it, it would be an interesting one if it came up but uh, Mm. hopefully it doesn't. (laughs) Here's one from the Discord as well, from Chip In. Would like to hear your pros and cons for keeping Freddie as an assistant coach as well, with him not being in the pictures yesterday. Uh, Is that already a hint, or was Sunday, or Sunday was off anyway? No, I mean, basically, he's saying is Freddie not being in the training pictures a hint of what's going to happen, but Arteta has today confirmed that Freddie is going to be part of his coaching staff. Um, Yeah. I don't know if we can talk about pros and cons, but your thoughts on that? I think it's great. I think it's really good. Um, I think the club will be delighted because they must have been aware that in appointing a really young manager, you know, this was potentially sensitive around Freddie and he might not have been part of Arteta's plans. But I think it speaks very well that he 
uh, is kind of prepared to keep Freddie on and have that kind of lieutenant, someone who's been with the squad all season uh, and who doesn't feel threatened by that. I think that's mature of him. And I think it's mature of Freddie too to, you know, see this as an opportunity willing to kind of continue his apprenticeship with the club. I, I actually think a little bit about, you know, Arteta himself going to Man City and working with Guardiola and the mutual respect that existed between those two guys. And, mm. uh, you know, Guardiola is someone who's always surrounded himself with lots of different types of Arteta, but he also had Brian Kidd. You know, he had another Spanish guy whose name escapes me right now. Uh, but, you know, it looks like Arteta's doing something similar. He's got uh, the guy coming from Everton, I've forgotten his name. Steve so, Round. Steve Round. Uh, but then he's going to go for someone younger and maybe more in tune with the academy players in in Freddie. And I think from what we hear, he's looking to fill out a sort of quite a, a wide array of different assistants. And I think that's positive I, I do I think it speaks to someone who understands the benefit of other voices uh, and who recognises that as maybe an inexperienced head coach they might need to lean on those people so yeah I'm chuck about you yeah I think it's I think it's good I think it's um, there could have been like a slight clashing there couldn't there in terms of just yeah. the, the profile of the two guys you might have felt were incompatible a bit, you know, two young coaches coming up together and maybe Freddie might have felt it was a bit of a demotion. I think what Freddie probably has displayed in the few weeks that he was in charge was the the fact that he's a good fit. When you listen to what Arteta says and what he wants, he's pretty uncompromising. And I mm. think Freddie has displayed those qualities in his decision-making and some of the things that he said, um, you know, about team selection, about the lack of support from on high. You know, he wasn't afraid to, you know, it wasn't like um, absolutely going crazy at, at the people above him, but, it, you know, he wasn't afraid to let people know that, you know, he'd been left in the lurch a little bit. You know, mm. his decisions with Ozil, his decisions with Pepe, you know, he's not going to take any shit either. So he probably fits very well into what Arteta wants. Yeah, and, you know, Arteta made a point of saying, look, I want to have a proper conversation with Freddie, and that has now happened. And they will have had a chat about what, you know, Freddie expects and what he wants from this role. And, you know, if it was a good job for him in August or July or whenever it was he stepped up to be with the first team, it's still a good job for him now, and it's still a really important part of his development. So, yeah, I'm. I think it's great. You know, we don't want to overplay the kind of Arsenal DNA thing, but having people who know the club and who care about the club involved mm. at, you know, at that first team level, of course we're going to like that as fans. And, uh, you know, Freddie, I don't, it's been a weird spell for Freddie, hasn't it? Because it's not like he came in and performed an immediate revolution and convinced everyone he should absolutely be taking this job. But nor do I think he really did very much to sort of discredit him. You know, I, I mm. think he managed okay in a very difficult, difficult scenario. Yeah. And I don't think it's hurt him massively. Do no, you? no, not at all. I think he's come out of it pretty well. I know people were disappointed with results and he didn't give us that new manager bounce, but I also think just the scale of the problems um, at this football club, you know, just, just bringing a new guy in is not sufficient to create that kind of a 
uh, a bounce. You know, there was there are a lot of issues there for Arteta to sort out, and I I think, you know, when it comes to the summer, there will be um, a few players with us now who won't be with us next season. Um, I think that's yeah. that's probably probably fair to say. Um, we have a couple of questions on this one. Um, let me see if I can find it here. Um, one from. Gooner, who's at Gooner Billow, who says, do you guys agree with Gary Neville's comment on players being empowered to walk off the pitch if they've been subjected to racist abuse by elements in the crowd? And on the Discord, we have one from Hiraniha, who says, in light of Gary Neville's comments on racism in British society after the um, Spurs versus Chelsea match, in your view, how spineless did Sky come across? Good questions. I mean, so personally, I have a little bit of sympathy with David Jones, the Sky presenter, because I don't know, but I'm guessing he was having people uh, in his ear really telling him, you've got to make distance us from those comments. Uh, I don't think it was a personal decision on his part to to say those words. Um, And I think he's very good, generally. So... But Sky themselves, I mean, it's a little bit like the conversation we had about Arsenal and Meza Erzl, isn't it? It's a, a corporation or a business not wanting themselves to be attached to political sentiments. Yeah, maybe. I, I think, you know, Neville was was calling out the Premier League a bit as well for not dealing with things like that enough. So maybe Sky were uh, protecting the relationship that they have with the Premier League, which is very important for them. Um, so I, I think there could be an element of protectionism going on there to an extent. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know, it just feels like these incidents are becoming more and more prevalent mm. and not much happens. It just, you know, continues until the next one. And then someone will say, um, like Rudiger said today, it'll be like, well, everyone goes, well, this is terrible. This shouldn't happen again. And then it, get swept under the carpet and then it happens again. Mm. And the next guy will say, it's terrible that in 2019 or 2020 that this sort of behavior is going on. You know, we need to do something about this and then it just gets swept under the carpet again. So, um, So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, how would you feel? I think we're in a place now where I think that sort of almost needs to happen. Where what needs to happen? Sorry. Sorry, that uh, a team needs to leave the field. Yeah, probably. Probably. Um, yeah. I mean, look, you, you obviously hope it do, it never happens because nobody should be subjected to to that kind of abuse. I don't think Sky covered themselves in glory by any means. No. I feel like there ought to be stronger punishments when things like this happen, at least on an individual basis, because it must be possible to identify the individual's uh, who who carry out this kind of uh, behaviour? These racists, you know. I think it is it is generally quite possible for them to do it, isn't it? They do tend to find the guy, but be it by on their ticket records or camera angles. They, yeah. you know, I think like the guy in the Manchester derby the other day, they know who that is, and he's facing criminal proceedings, I believe. Right, um, which is good, but yeah, I, it's it's really depressing actually like I watched the news last night and it's 
<laughs> and the first item on the news is that a player was racially abused in a Premier League football match. And you, you do kind of, you know, put your head in your hands and think, wh- where are we? What's going on? Yeah. Uh, and I think Gary Neville was absolutely right to say what he did say and say that, you know, there is a bit of a in this country around these incidents. And I think that ultimately just putting out a a message on a speaker saying, oh, please don't be racist, that's tolerating it as far as I'm concerned. And I think there needs to be zero tolerance on this issue. And if that means players leaving the field, I know if it was my team and not to make you tribal, but I would... I would be proud of any team actually that 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 chose to take a stand and come off the pitch in that circumstance. Yeah. The thing is though you worry don't you that anyone who is prepared to be overtly racist in public yeah is also the kind of person who would look at this protocol or whatever it is they have in place and seek to um, exploited is not the right word, but well, I think why would? Yeah, but why wouldn't they? If you're gonna, if you're going to, if you're going to be openly racist in a stadium full of sixty thousand people, why you don't give a fuck? Mm. You don't give a shit if you're going to be punished or not, because you mm. feel a emboldened to behave that way in the first place. So why wouldn't you just carry it out to as great an extent as you can? It's really weird, but I mean, it's part of what's going on societally as well. It's a reflection of, you know, certain attitudes um, that are more prevalent in in the world today in 2020 than I thought would be, where I thought we would be um, far more tolerant, far more progressive. I think we are in many ways. Many of us are in many ways, but there is a a section of society who, who, who don't feel like that and who who look at people differently because of where they come from, the colour of their skin, um, what religion they are, or, or anything like that. You yeah. Know? I mean, I, I, I'm of the slightly cynical point of view that however progressive your society might be, there are always going to be people who... to that, and to just, you know, kind of to be counter-culture will be mm. cunts, basically. <laughs> but what you have to do is make sure it's absolutely abundantly clear that those people aren't welcome. Mm. Uh, and it is incumbent on the, the various authorities to to something about that. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Like, if someone streaks on the pitch, the cameras will cut away and be like, we don't want to show this, you know. Yeah. But it's like... It almost feels like with incidents like this, it feels like there should be more repercussions. It should derail the whole thing. And I know that, that people will say you can't do that because people will just use that to to control whether or not games go ahead or not. But, I, yeah, it's... I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's a complicated issue. Unfortunately, it's not my job to sort it out but clearly more needs to be done and more needs to be done than just talking about it and being sorry about it because it'll be upsetting to see these pictures and yeah it makes me feel I don't think it's football's fault 
I think it's bigger than football, but football has a responsibility to do what it can about it. Football could do more. Yeah. There's no question football could do more. You know, the what's the example that's always brought up? Um, I, I think, I could be wrong here, but I'm almost sure that many years ago, Patrick Vieira was fined more for making comments about racist fans during a European game. Could have been in Holland, could have been in Spain, I can't quite remember. But he was fined more for highlighting uh, the behaviour of those fans and being critical of the behaviour and the lack of punishment from UEFA than those clubs were fined. You know, clubs are fined 20 grand. Nicholas Bentner gets fined, you know, 100 grand for wearing some underpants. You know, there is a, a... For all the talk... Um, from UEFA and from the FA and from FIFA and all these places, for all this talk about um, no to racism, they don't display the kind of leadership that is required to to convince people that they're serious. Because it's a nice, nice buzzword, nice catchy phrase, make a nice video with all the players saying no to racism in all the different languages. But if you don't punish racists... If you allow racists to get away with racist behavior, then you're never going to stop it. I think that's true. And that's and just to, th- sorry, just to say, I mean, you can't, you're never going to stop racism. That's not what I, you know, that's not what I mean. But, you know, you can be, you can be a sport or an industry that takes a stand yeah, I mean, I think if, if an incident like this occurs in any ground, including our own or in, amongst any set of fans, why is that team not immediately punished by having to play their next game, you know, behind closed doors or something without supporters there? I mean, that just seems like a very straightforward mm. way of there being an immediate that hurts the team, hurts the fans and will strengthen the resolve of everybody involved to cancel out this problem. I, I don't know, but certainly more has to be done. Mm. Difficult weekend from that point of view. Um, mm. And we should just, you know, make it very clear, like you said, that anybody who uh, behaves in that way is just basically a cunt. Um, and I hope... Uh, football gets rid of them and society gets rid of them and the world gets rid of them um, which is a bit of a a pipe dream but there you go Um, like the uh, slogan goes let's kick cunts out of football quite right fully behind that let's have (laughs) let's have one more to finish um, which uh, can take us uh, into Christmas and it comes from Liney on the discord and we've had a number of questions about our new head coach. Mm. But he wants to know, is Arteta's hair comprised of a single strand or trillions of strands? Great question. Is it even hair or is it just like an extension of his head? Do you know what I mean? Like Mm. it's so inflexible. Uh, I saw him at Everton. I saw your tweet, yeah. He doesn't look real. I swear to God, like, it's like when someone, you know, is brought back or sort of made to look young again in a a movie. It's really mad. 
because he's... I mean, maybe he's a robot. He's got a slight Terminator vibe about him, don't you think? Yes. Yeah. Like, the. do you remember the um, the Action Man, where you, you had the little thing on the back of his head, you could make his eyes yeah. move? He's a yeah, bit exactly like that. exactly like that. Yeah. And he's got that Action Man hair, actually. Mm. Which is kind of like, you know essentially plastic um do i think it's no i think it is millions of tiny hairs but they're not distinguishable from each other um you know it's like so like a jellyfish you know how like a jellyfish is actually loads of little organisms clinging to each other is it some are like the portuguese man of war is i don't know about all jellyfish i've probably got that wrong andrew but you get the idea i i kind of know what you mean sort of like the borg yeah Exactly. He's exactly like the Borg. Uh, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. If, if anything's going to make your hair go grey or fall out, it is managing Arsenal Football Club. That is very true. There was a question on that, actually. Do I have it here? Um, oh God, I should have. But unfortunately, I don't, because I've had a nightmare with the questions today. <laughs> It's, uh, listen, your laptop broke. There's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. Hang on. I'm sure I can find it. If I can find it. Hang on. Yes. It's from Robert Parker, who's at RP83. He says, Arteta's had extraordinary hair for many years. Due to managing Arsenal, which do you think will happen? A, goes completely grey. B, completely bald. C, we win the Champions League next season. He signs an exclusive deal to become the face of VO5. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I think, you know, when people just get one very defined grey streak or like white streak through his hair, like, I can see that happening. Like Stephen Toast. Yeah, exactly like that. Um, I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign, to be honest with you. Um, who knows? It's probably better than all than all his hair falling out. I hope he goes full Stephen Toast, actually. Like, he has the moustache, yeah. the streak of hair. That would be good. The, the, Arteta the, with a moustache would be quite a good look, actually. I don't know if we can sort of... If anyone at the club is listening... Tell him. We could that's just, really what the fans want. We could Photoshop one on him. Actually, the uh, the Arsenal gent, um, his, his playing card for Mikel Arteta, who is, I think... Um, what's he called? Michael Arkwright, something like mm. that. Um, has him fully bald, but also with a moustache, I think. So right, he does look the part. So yeah, we'll see. Look, if anything is going to make your hair fall out, it is um, the Arsenal job, but... Um, Just look at what's happened to me. Yeah. I mean, he could lose He could lose millions of hairs. And it wouldn't matter because he's got trillions. We've come to the conclusion that he has got trillions. Very true. So um, hopefully, though, the job, you know, makes him grow even more hair. Maybe success will add to the trillions that he has already. Success so, will fuel his hair. Mm, that would be yeah. exciting. I mean, it must be, would you say it's really wiry? Yeah, like, do you think if you try and put a brush through it or a comb through it, do you think it gets stuck? Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. I think he's just never washed it, so it's just like <laughs> years of gel accumulated. Isn't that what they say? Like, you know, if you don't wash your hair, it, you know, it starts to self-clean all the oils and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if that's true or not, but... I don't know. It is astonishingly immobile. Yeah. It is... Some of the strangest hair I've ever seen. But, right. uh, well, we're going to see it up close and personal quite a lot. Exactly. And we won't be judging him on that 
No. We'll judging him on the football. For sure. For sure. Okay, well, look, we're going to leave it there. Thank you, uh, as ever, for listening. It is that time of the year um, where things get a bit hectic in the fixture list. Um, but, of course, we'd like to wish everybody uh, a very happy Christmas. If you celebrate mm. Christmas or you don't celebrate Christmas, we wish you a very happy few days, whatever you're doing with friends or family. Surround it with people who you like and love and, you know, keep the cunts at bay for a few days. It's not always easy. And, you know, as ever, thank you very much indeed for listening. Sorry we don't have a festive treat for you this year. It's been a bit weird, hasn't it? Yeah, well, the problem is it's been a bit busy. Like, Arsenal keep sacking managers and appointing managers and losing football matches. And it's, it's, but I think this podcast that we've done is quite a good festive treat, actually, the, the look at the past decade. So do keep an eye out for that if you're a Patreon member. Do indeed. All right. Well, listen, we'll leave it there. We will catch you at some point between now and the new year. So until then, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Happy Christmas. Bye bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.